listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. Hey everybody, welcome into episode 6, our first real regular season post-game episode. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan. And Dan, uh, week 1, it wasn't good for the Giants, although I don't think most Giants fans were necessarily expecting the Giants to go into Dallas and come out of there with a win. And hey, the team gave them excitement for a little bit in the first quarter. But overall, Giants com- completely outmatched. I mean, we're going to get into the this to a more granular level, but just overall kind of big picture thoughts after the game. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I sent out a warning on Twitter a couple days before Sunday just saying, you know, you got to be careful about overreacting to week one because someone had put out a, you know, a list of the teams, the games that were won last year in week one by non-playoff teams over playoff teams. And I'm sure we're going to see that again because so many teams Looked great yesterday, and everyone has them going to the Super Bowl and teams that got blown out yesterday, uh, I should say on Sunday. Um, you know, they're done. The only thing with the Giants where I, I'll allow a little bit of, you know, maybe overreaction is it was sort of their worst fears were realized. It, you know, it didn't feel fluky. You know, we I think, you know, we talked a little bit uh, on this show since it's launched, and I've kind of been saying all offseason that this defense is a major question mark. And so then to go out and see it just be so just demolished by the Cowboys – that's the part that makes you say, uh, I don't know if that's just sort of a week one type thing. Like, I, I don't know where the answers come going forward because, I mean, they came into the season with a bunch of questions. Every one of those holes, you know, seemed to get exploited. Uh, I will say, I think the Cowboys, are, you know, are a very good team. I mean, there's really not a lot of holes on that roster. Both sides of the ball are pretty stacked. I mean, a lot of young talent. It's a little scary if you're a Giants fan, but that's not really their number one concern right now. I think we're going to learn a heck of a lot more about this team next week when they're at home against Buffalo. You know, definitely a much more level playing field. But yeah, you just walked away from that one saying, man, that is pretty much every fear you probably had as a Giants fan, you know, came to fruition in week one. All right, there is some good that could come out of that game that we can look at, and we'll get into that in the podcast, but we might as well start with the concerns because there was certainly a lot more of those, and I think we had to start on the defensive side. Um, Dak Prescott is supposedly in line for a big payday, and he looked every bit worth every dollar that Jerry Jones may be spending on him in that game. Uh, the secondary for the for the Giants really struggling. A um, lot of open receivers, a lot of blown coverages, it seemed like, Dan. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I made a joke during the game that, you know, Dak's agent should have kicked the doors down to Jerry Jones' suite with, you know, just open empty duffel bags because uh, the Giants certainly uh, helped their negotiating stance. If you want to talk <laughs> about, a, you know, a $30 million quarterback, Dak uh, certainly looked like that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the it was top to bottom. It was a lot easier if it was just, just the cornerbacks, just the safeties, just the pass rush. I mean, everything got exposed uh, on Sunday. Um, you, you talked about just sort of the coverage bust. I mean, it's tough when you're just letting guys run right down the middle of the defense uncovered. I mean, and if it happens once, okay. It happened twice, happened three times. That's when it was just really troubling. Um, and, and so that's where it's, it's this combination of problems where that's where I was going back to my first answer. I don't think it's an easy fix because some of it's a lack of talent. Some of it is, you know, new pieces. Some of it is inexperienced guys. So I don't know how they're going to be able to mesh all that together and, and turn things around, at least not quickly. I mean, I think obviously you would expect the young players will get better as time goes on, but there's just major questions. If, is the talent even there that once they get on the same page, will they, will they be able to stop anybody? Because I mean, that was like a seven-on-seven seven drill too. I mean, D- Dak was just sitting back there. He had all day. There was no pass rush. Um, so it was, it was just a disaster from, from top to bottom for the defense. 
All right, so we'll get into the the lack of pressure and also the secondary. Let's start in the secondary because you mentioned younger players needing to kind of come along, and DeAndre Baker, obviously one of those, the high draft pick. There was one obvious play where they, which kind of stands out as the the example, I guess, from this game where he got burned from by Amari Cooper for the long touchdown. Um, but Baker wasn't really in there all that much either. It was kind of a split time situation. What did you think of that? Yeah, it was odd coming into the game because, I mean, Baker was a starter, you know, pretty much the entire spring. You know, it took me like a week to crack the starting lineup. So the rest of the spring came into camp, came into the first preseason game, was, you know, one of the starting 11. It wasn't in doubt. Then he hurt his knee in practice. Wasn't a major injury. Probably missed almost like two weeks of practice. Didn't play in the last preseason game, but practiced fully that whole week. Practiced fully. Wasn't on the injury report last week. But then they started floating out this idea of Antonio Hamilton, who's really just been a kind of a career special teamer, um, splitting time with Baker. Now, going into week one, you never know. Maybe it's gamesmanship. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. Because usually you want to have your two starting corners play 100% of the snaps. A, because they're conceivably your two best corners. And also for the communication aspect, which you know we saw get exploited, that you want those guys to just be in sync with everyone else in that secondary because it's a position that's really reliant on everyone being on the same page. And we saw what happens when guys aren't on the same page. So I'm not quite sure. I mean, I can't imagine it's health-related because, again, he wasn't even on the injury report. He's been practicing fully. I do wonder if there's sort of just assignment questions and that type of thing, and they felt like maybe missing the two weeks set him back because it just doesn't make sense to, to take your first-round pick or you basically anointed as a starter in the spring, and then you're, you're rolling it back in, the, in you know week one, and it's not like you sat him back for some established veteran who could kind of hold the fort down because Hamilton looked atrocious um i mean he's the new curtis riley for giants fans and they hope not to see him as much as you know we saw riley on the field last year but uh that was a really rough showing for hamilton a guy who didn't play any defensive snaps last season i think we kind of saw why um yesterday but with with baker even you know i'm talking about the assignment stuff I and mean, he got beat clean uh, on a couple of deep balls like you mentioned the touchdown to cooper he gave another deep ball to Gallup. where hey that's gonna happen but that is a little uh, discouraging because, you know, physically he's looked the part, you know, all offseason. Then he gets out, you know, and the lights are on. And, I mean, he's a kid from the SEC. I don't think it's the stage didn't get to him. But maybe the level of competition because, you know, he wasn't probably facing guys as, as good as Amari Cooper last year. And um, it's going to probably take him a little while to get adjusted. All right. And then Dexter Lawrence is another young guy. When you talk about the line, the D line, 28 snaps, one assisted tackle. What is your assessment of him? Not a lot to assess, really. I mean, you <laughs> right? say that you say those snap counts and you know yeah. one assisted tackle. Um, you know, I feel like it's and listen. It's crazy for us to make definitive judgments on rookies after their first game. I will say, as I step back though, the idea that he's going to be a three-down defensive lineman, it really just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. He's 342 pounds. I mean, you see how often he's coming on and off the field. I mean, I just don't see a situation where he's going to be playing 80, 90 percent of the snaps and just being a three-down terror. I mean, and that's fine. If he's going to play 60% and be great and, and just be a monster when he's on the fifth or 60%, that's fine. That definitely still could happen. Again, I'm not making any definitive judgments on his career. But I think we were kind of buying into a little bit of just the the Giants talk of, of him being this three-down guy. I, I just don't – at his size, I don't think it's really realistic. And the whole pass rush thing, I mean, a lot of projection there. Again, his, you know, his story is not written. He definitely could become it. But just watching him – uh, you know, a little bit. I didn't focus on him during the game, but certainly wasn't a heck of a lot of push in the middle of that pocket. Again, Dak, you know, had plenty of time back there. Um, so I don't know. I mean, definitely Jerry's still out on that part of it. 
But the fact that he's not playing that many snaps, I mean, he looks like a first and second down guy right now. Um, and that's not really what we were kind of sold when they took him with the 17th pick. Now, again, the role can change. Um, but I'm just a little skeptical of the idea of him really ever becoming that third down pass rushing guy that we were told. Just as I step back and, and kind of think of what I saw in training camp, what I saw in the preseason, obviously what we've seen in one game. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, kind of left a lot to be desired, but I'm, I'm not going to kill the guy after you know one quiet game. So one quiet game from him, but the pass rush as a whole, um, it didn't come from anywhere. Now, granted, the Cowboys have a really good offensive line. We knew that coming into the season. But when you saw the way the Giants performed in this game and really got no pressure on, is there is there any thought that they can be a, get better pressure against a lesser offensive line? Or are there real concerns about being able to get any pressure without just blitzing through a game? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a combination. I think that is something we can't lose sight of. I mean, this is probably, you know, the best offensive line in the NFL and you know, certainly certainly showed on Sunday. But, again, we came in with question marks of who was gonna, who's going to make the pass rush. I mean, I, I said, you know, Lawrence had a quiet game. Think of guys who made plays on defense. I mean, it's few and five. I, can't, I really can't think of very many. I know Lorenzo Carter, you know, broke up a ball down the field. I think on like one of the first drive, BJ Hill got a fingertip on a third down pass, and I'm pretty much out. <laughs> I don't I don't really remember anybody <laughs> else making any plays. I mean, the only time you, just, you said Marcus Golden's name was when he was you know two steps off sides and got a free shot at Prescott. But um, you know Carter didn't do anything as a pass rusher. Golden didn't do anything. O'Shane Zimenez. None of these guys did anything. Um, you know I think Prescott was touched twice. Um, you know wasn't sacked. Was really never under any sort of pressure. But, again, going back to the point about Dallas's line, yes, we, we have to be careful not to just completely shut the door on, on this team. There's a lot of young guys after one game against a really good line. So that's why I really think week two is really going to sort of be a, you know, a much – we'll get a much better grasp of kind of what to expect, at least you know, for the early part of the season um, because they just, they just ran into a superior team, and, uh, and obviously the results played out that way. You certainly don't want to be in a position where you're signing guys off waivers to help with a pass rush or anything like that. But the Giants have added a player here. Uh, they had him on Monday, Tuzar Skipper, who was originally kind of a rock star of Steelers camp, um, had five sacks in the preseason for the Steelers and seemed like he was a sure bet to, to make that team, ended up getting cut. And then I know the Steelers wanted to get him on that practice squad, but the Giants go ahead and sign him on Monday. Um, I mean, He's obviously a fringe roster guy, so you can't expect him to to be a guy that's going to bring in a pass rush, but he's going to get some playing time. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's all hands on deck. Uh, yeah, they certainly are. If you know, like you said, five sacks in the preseason. You know, I can't say I was watching Skipper super closely in the preseason. I'm imagining a lot of those were against backups, but listen, you know, they'll, they'll take what they can get. Um, you know, they had an open roster spot because they cut Nate Stupar on Saturday, and that was really more of a salary cap issue where. Had he been on the roster, they cut him on Friday, sorry. Had he been on the roster on Saturday, um, you know, his contract would have been guaranteed for the season. So kind of a, a house cleaning, accounting issue there to, to get him off the roster. Um, so they they they've, um, signed Skipper to fill that hole, but really um, he was kind of necess- necessitated because Kareem Martin sprained his knee on Sunday. So they're really down to three healthy edge players, which was Golden, Carter, and, and Zimenez. So they, they need a guy there. So typically a guy like this, you sign... You think he probably won't even play in his first week, but you know they, we don't know the uh, severity of Martin's injury. But assuming you know sprained knee might be a couple of weeks, uh, you might see Skipper get thrown right into the fire. And again, th- this team's desperate for pass rush, so 
Uh, it's a pretty good situation for him to walk into as far as getting an opportunity. Yeah, nothing to lose for sure. Uh, one more young guy to talk about, uh, more for what he had to do after the game and just everything that's going on still, and that is Ballantyne, who didn't come back to New Jersey with the team. Instead, went straight to Kansas. Of course, I see most people that are listening to this podcast probably familiar with the story of, of his friend being uh, murdered um, after the draft. He was also shot. He had to go back to Kansas to testify against the man. I mean, it's just a lot to deal with for a, a young guy, Dan. Do you expect to be able to catch up with Valentine at all this week, or are they going to kind of shield him from the media a little bit? Uh, yeah, no, he's you know he's been uh, pretty accessible. That was actually the, yeah. the first thing that really impressed me because I kind of thought you know pretty much after the draft I thought they would sort of just keep him under wraps and, and obviously they they you know let him uh, have his time, but then he came into the uh, the field house where we do the interviews during training camp and just kind of stood up there and you know obviously all of the media surrounded him and. Uh, really was just impressive the way he spoke about the tragedy and um, very open and honest and just, you know, talking about everything he's dealt with. Um, so, I mean, he seems like someone who's got, you know, a great head on his shoulders and, and if anyone can handle this, it, you know, it does seem like him, but it's a ton thrown at him. Um, so, yeah, he, he flew back just directly from Dallas to Kansas. Uh, that was Monday morning and, you know, he was scheduled to just, you know, fly back right after that. So he really won't miss any time and it really shouldn't affect him in terms of, um, his football preparation, of course, is going to affect him. I mean, I know I just talked to him briefly about it last week and wasn't something he was looking forward to doing, which is you know, obviously understandable. I mean, you kind of have to do it as far as just the legal system and you want justice, but there's certainly a part of him, you know, hey, his friend is gone and, you know, it's just hard. He wants to move on. And now he has to kind of deal with this part of the process. So, I mean, he's, he's been through a ton. And like I said, he's handled it as well as you can imagine. I mean, he's probably 22 years old. And, um, you know, it's enough going on in his life just trying to transition from Division Two to the NFL and everything like that. So uh, just a really impressive kid. And even, you know, even got out on the field. Uh, was a re- kick returner last uh, Sunday night. Uh, got a few snaps. I mean, really, the, the cornerbacks, they were, they were kind of, you know, going down the depth chart. And so he got in there a little bit. And honestly, after seeing the way Hamilton played, it probably, you know, Ballantyne might be in a, even a bigger role uh, coming up. But um, that's that stuff's all secondary because I mean, what he's gone through these last couple of months has just really been uh, like an unbelievable emotional roller coaster and and like I said he's handled it uh, you know in a really admirable way and um, so I think you know maybe after this hearing hopefully he can you know have some time where he doesn't have to really go back there and deal with any of this stuff and he can just kind of focus on uh, kind of moving forward with his career. Yeah, look ahead, move forward for sure. Um, one more thing to get on as far as concerns go, and, and I don't know how critical we can be, but let's let's. Um, Talk about Pat Shermer and just kind of grade what he did in your mind. Uh, he did take some chances, which I think is good when you're on a team like this that that isn't expected to be competitive with the best teams in the NFL, and they certainly weren't against Dallas. But what do you think about just the overall game plan that Shermer and the Giants came out with to face this Cowboys team? Yeah, no, I mean, I do like that. that you know, there was a fourth and eight from the 40-yard line. Where yeah, that's the one that so, stands out, yep. Yeah, so many coaches would punt there, and you gain, like, you know, 20, 25 yards of field position and just kind of wave the white towel, and I, he got it. You know, Eli made a good throw to Benny Fowler to pick up that first down. Uh, I think he's going to have to coach that way, and, and, you know, whether it's because he wants to or just because this defense is going to be giving up points, so you, would, you better be aggressive uh, on offense. But um, that's kind of where the positives end for me with him. I thought he had a really rough uh, game as a – as a play caller, I think what he tends to do is he kind of outthinks himself, and there's no better uh, manifestation of that than what he does with Saquon Barkley sometimes. You know, Giants fans will remember the Eagles game last year down in Philly where Saquon ran wild in the first half, and then for some reason uh, they went away from him in the second half and the game slipped away. It wasn't quite as dramatic 
on Sunday only because um, you know they weren't they didn't have a big lead or anything like that. But you know Saquon breaks that 59 yard run on the second play from scrimmage. They go right down and score a touchdown, and then they have a 24 play stretch after that. I you know I tallied it up from their second drive through their first drive of the third quarter where he touched the ball three times. I mean, that's, you just, it can't happen. It, and, and Pat Shermer was throwing out sort of, you know, misdirection excuses where he's saying, well, we don't have a lot of plays. Well, well whatever plays you have given to Saquon because it wasn't <laughs> like they were stopping. I mean, the three touches he had, he had 18 yards. So he's averaging six yards a touch. And, and again, I just think he outthinks himself. And, and you have a weapon like Saquon Barkley. You've so clearly built your team around this kid. You took him with the second pick. You, you jettisoned Odell. It's all about Saquon. You got this offensive line that's, you know, definitely should be better. And then you start, you know, doing Eli Manning bootlegs on, on fourth, fourth and one. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, that, that one sequence is the one that's going to be hard for him to live down. That I think, you know, if this season goes south, it'll get referenced quite a bit when you, you know, third and two, I think it was at the Dallas eight in the third quarter. Game was, you know, they were in trouble, but if they score there, they're right back in it potentially. And he calls a fullback dive to Eli Penny. And then he does the play fake to Saquon and, and Eli rolls out and it's kind of in no man's land and ends up taking the sack. And it's just, it's just really hard to wrap your mind around how you can have your best player, arguably the best player in the NFL, not touch the ball in that situation with two plays. And again, I think it's just outthinking yourself. And I mean, Eli Penny's getting the inside handoff. It just, uh, I, I don't understand. I think sometimes these coaches have eight months of game plan for the first game, and they, they sort of overthink it all. Like Dallas will never see this coming. Well, it's the reason they don't see it coming because <laughs> no one's expecting Eli Payne to get a handoff there, and, and that's why because he picks up one yard in this situation. So, um, yeah, that that that's a huge, huge red flag for me. And and you know, there's other minor stuff. I mean, he tried to like challenge the hail mary at the end of the half, where you obviously can't challenge it because it's everything's booth review in the last two minutes. I mean. It just seems like sometimes he sort of loses his, I don't say composure, his bearings, and, and kind of gets a little worked up. And, um, you know, I think it's sometimes it's reflected in just how the team responds and, and sort of how the play calling goes, and he, he kind of loses his rhythm. And, again, you have Saquon. Just give it to him, and good things will happen. Yeah, Barkley's final number is 11 carries, 120 yards. Just not enough carries, and then four catches for 19. Uh, probably not enough catches either, uh, but 15 touches overall. And I get that you, if you have a weapon like Saquon Barkley, not only do you need to use him, but you need to use him as a decoy at times because it's a way to open up other things. Obviously, play action can be huge with a guy like Barkley, but not in that situation that you described in the third quarter inside the 10. Those are the moments where... The reason you have him isn't as a decoy. It's to use him, at least on one of those plays. If you want to maybe right. decoy on third, use him on fourth. I don't know. But, right, and then the idea of using him as a decoy, it's like that's usually when they start stopping plan A. I mean, he's rushing right. for 10 yards of carry. Those are high school numbers. I mean, you don't go to plan B and plan C when they're not stopping plan A. So that that's the part where I get to the overthinking. It. It's like, listen, you want to have a ton of misdirections off of Saquon? That's fine, but make them stop Saquon before you start going to those. Right. And then they had a, to make it worse, they had a third and short later in the game and they gave it to Barkley and he broke right through the line, I think for, for a gain of 10, which is just makes it even worse. Um, he was successful, and I think a good part of that is obviously you need an O-line to open up some sort of hole. He doesn't need a lot, but he needs a crevice at least to get open. And the offensive line that we were hoping would be better was pretty good. Just one sack, six quarterback hits on, on uh, Eli. Um, so that's a positive, I guess, is that this O-line against a pretty good Cowboys defense held its own. No, and again, if we go back just you know way back to the very first question of you know week one overreactions or sort of what's realistic – you know, there was a lot of thought and hype, you know, hype and hope, whatever you want to call it, that this offensive line would be better. 
So to see the way they performed, that sort of confirmed, you know, what we were thinking, that this does look like a better unit. I mean, all I have to do is think back to the game down Dallas last year in week two when it was just, you know, a jailbreak every drop back. Um, even six hits, it doesn't even, I don't remember, you know, Eli really being under that much duress. Um, you know, there was, you know, there was one deep ball where a guy got through and hit him pretty good. I mean, the sack was really not on the offensive line. It was a rollout, and he held the ball too long, so you really can't put that on the offensive line. Anytime your running backs are, you know, averaging 10 yards a carry, that reflects pretty well. I mean, you know, listen, you give Saquon just that little crease, and he does a lot of it on his own, but they have to make that initial crease. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think the offensive line is probably the biggest silver lining to take from this game because Dallas has, you know, a, a good defense, a good front. We've seen what they've done to to weaker Giants offensive lines in recent years, so to see that performance – uh, it's probably the most encouraging thing. And it, it's, I think the offense will be okay. The question is, is the defense going to be so bad that it won't matter? But I do think you saw some signs of, you know, positive strides on offense. Obviously, they didn't score enough. And that's, you know, <laughs> hey, it's a bottom line business. But the offense wasn't as overmatched as we've seen in, in some early season games. And again, when they went down to Dallas last year, the offense just couldn't do anything. I mean, the offense stalled out a few times and definitely didn't get in the end zone. But the offensive line, Saquon... Uh, Evan Ingram, there was, there was some positive signs that you can take that, you know, when you go against maybe a weaker defense, that they would be able to click a little bit better even. Yeah, and you mentioned Ingram, which was the next thing I was going to bring up. 11 catches, 116 yards, had that first touchdown, which was good as well. They even used him on a screen pass at one point that kind of showed how versatile this guy can be. I mean, he does look like a weapon, and if this receiving core, at least early in the season before they get Golden Tate back, Looks like it, it's not going to be exactly what you're looking for as far as guys being able to get open. I mean, Engram is is a perfect guy to help out, and he certainly did all they could expect from him on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that's another guy preseason. There's a lot of talk. Is this going to be a breakout year for him? And sort of, you know, one game, you put a check in that box because he, he looked apart. Um, you know, you mentioned that screen pass. That's actually one of my favorite plays that, that Pat Sherman has where – he has found creative ways to get Ingram the ball. He does that thing where he'll fake a screen one way and, and come back to Ingram. I think he did it. Might have gone to the well one too many times. Or they blew it up uh, one time there. Um, but it is a nice play to just have in the have in the bag. Um, but, yeah, no, he, I think he's going to have a huge year. I mean, I think we see he's going to be a focal point, especially until Tate comes back. But I think even you know even beyond that because um, you know, he's going to be that guy who gets a lot of the checkdowns, unfortunately, because that's what sometimes this offense turns into. But he's a guy who can make something happen after he catches the ball. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if you're a if you're a fantasy owner or whatever, I'd be buying in on Evan Ingram. The, you know, the only question with him always is health, but uh, it seems like he's going to get a lot of targets, and um, you know, so far so good as far as the productivity. He's my number one tight end on my fantasy team. <laughs> there you go, paying off. Although he's about the only guy that paid off for my fantasy team week <laughs> one. Uh, one more guy uh, as far as receivers go, Sterling Shepard. Um, Unfortunately, he, he had six catches for 42 yards. Um, you know, good number of catches. The yardage not quite there. But unfortunately, now he's in the concussion protocol. Just kind of explain to people what that means. Is there any chance that he could play on Monday night? Yeah, I mean, the concussion protocol is one of them, you know, sort of just a nebulous thing. You don't really know what it means because, I mean, I'll just go back to the preseason, for example, where their seventh-round pick, uh, George Asafo Ajayi, had a concussion in the first week of camp and then was put on IR, never could get back on the field by the time, you know, six weeks passed. And they had another guy, John Hilleman, the running back, who got a concussion in a game on, you know, say Friday night, I think it was, and he was back practicing like on a Monday or Tuesday. So you never know. So I don't want to sit here and say, you know, he'll definitely be out. But when you get into the season, concussions are tough because it's a quick turnaround. You know, you figure he's in the protocol. They're off on Tuesday. 
first practice will be Wednesday. You know, if he's not out there Wednesday, at least limited, I mean, I'm sure he won't do any contact, but if he's not running around on the side, it already, you know, the, the clock's ticking. It's hard to, because you have to pass a number of steps. So if you're not making progress by the time they get to Wednesday, it's, you almost can run out of time. So the, Wednesday will be the real telling uh, indicator of if he'll be ready for Sunday. But it's scary to think if he won't be, because, you know, we already talked about how uh, they're down Tate. To be down Shepard, that's your top two receivers, and it gets real thin after that. You're talking Cody Latimer, Benny Fowler, and Russell Shepard. I mean, I think we'd be seeing a lot of two tight end packages because, you know, that's not a trio that's going to scare many defenses. So, um, obviously, it's, you know, it's not an ankle where you can say you can just tape it up and play it through. I mean, the protocol, like I said, you have to pass all these stages. So, no way of knowing, you know, how severe it was. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't see anything happen during the game. You know, it wasn't like he took one big hit and left. I mean, he played pretty much every snap. So, you know, hard to determine, you know, the severity of it. But obviously, anytime you have a concussion, you know, it's you got to take it seriously. And uh, like I said, I think Wednesday will be the time we'll be able to tell, um, you know, depending on how much he's able to do, you know, if at all. All right, let's talk quarterbacks, Dan. We had we we got this far in twenty six minutes yeah, did, before we got to the quarterbacks. How about that? Well, it gives it gives people reason to stick around and, and listen to the whole podcast. <laughs> when are they going to talk about? You yeah, producer Marissa, make sure you put the timestamp in it for when we talk about quarterbacks so we make sure people get this far through. <laughs> uh, all right, Daniel Jones actually played. Um, obviously, the game was way out of reach, and it was just the last time, uh, last possession for the Giants, but he goes three for four, 17 yards, and then he actually picks up the first down on a scramble before he loses the fumble. Um, was this a smart move by the Giants to get him in there? He gets his feet wet, but I feel like then fans are just like, oh, look, Daniel Jones played. It's only a matter of time. It was it was an interesting move. I'll say that because <laughs> it was 35 to 10, and the Giants got the ball back with around 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. So there was definitely a thought in my head, like, well, they put Jones in here, you know, let him have like basically a full quarter to, you know, it's extended garbage time basically. Um they, you know, they stuck with the, I mean, you're down more than three scores there. So the game's over. Uh, they stuck with Eli for that series. They had one more series in the middle of the fourth quarter. Stuck with them again. So at that point, I said, okay, they're just not going to play Jones. They don't want to, you know, open that door crack for a quarterback controversy or, you know, whatever it may be. And then sure enough, around the two-minute warning, um, they're about to get the ball back. And I noticed he's got his helmet on. Eli does not I said, oh, wait, I think they're putting him in here. And sure enough, they did. Now, listen, I mean, the drive was, you know, the garbagest of garbage times. And it obviously didn't end on a great note because, you know, he kind of had a sort of a weak fumble there. It was nice to see he tucked it, though. That was the difference you're seeing with, you know, Eli rolls out and it's, you know, he's got the piano on his back and, and Jones showed a little bit of, you know, what would make fans excited. Certainly didn't see enough in that drive to say he's definitively better. That's why I would have liked to maybe see him get, you know, three drives and then you could really have a little bit of, uh, you know, something to, to refer back to and to compare. I think they had no interest in doing that, but I was a little surprised that if you weren't going to put him in then, that they even bothered at all. Um, you know, Shermer just said in that situation, uh, it made sense to sort of let him get his feet wet. I mean, I don't think that that experience is going to do a heck of a lot for him, but, you know, he's at least gotten that, you know, out of the way and check that box. Um, but they definitely don't want a quarterback controversy in week two. I mean, I don't think there will be one. I don't think they're going to let one, um, no matter how many questions we ask or how many people start banging the table for Jones. What I will say will be very interesting is in this Buffalo game, it's the home opener. If the offense is sputtering, how long until the Boo Birds come out? How long until the Jones calls start? Uh, this is a big game for this team, for Eli Manning, for the offense, for Pat Shermer, for everybody. It's funny. It's week two of, you know, Shermer's second season, you know, week two of this, you know, uh, rebuilding year. 
But if it goes south, it could get ugly fast. So I think that they really need to have a good effort, and that'll you know kind of calm things down a little bit. They have a little bit of a lighter schedule coming up. But if they lose this one and go 0-2, and, and, and if, if Eli doesn't play well, those calls are going to get mighty loud. So Manny, uh, Eli did actually play pretty well in the game, although it's a little deceiving. But he ends up 30 of 44, 306, a touchdown, no picks. The no picks is obviously great. The yardage is what's a little deceiving because he picked up a lot of yards in garbage time in that fourth quarter. But he had time to throw, which we talked about, and is something that he hasn't necessarily had lately. Um, overall, Manning pretty good or, or a guy that is going to lose his job soon? <laughs> it could be both, but no, I would well, say that's pretty true. good. <laughs> it felt to me a little bit reminiscent of his performances last year where the final numbers, you're like, oh, I mean, that's a great day. But if you watch the game, it's like, eh. You know, like you said, I think it was about 9 of 11 for 80 yards in, in sort of garbage time. Um, it just, he made the throws that were there. You know, it was, you know, pretty accurate. Didn't make too many wild throws. Had a nice throw to Cody Latimer. He made a you know, great one-handed catch. Uh, like I said, he made a nice throw to Fowler on fourth down. But otherwise, he just kind of took what was there. I mean, you definitely saw in the second half the return of just the check down central. The drive at the end of the first half was brutal. I mean, they get the ball back with two timeouts. And he you know, he just dink and dunks down the middle. And they basically run out of time and have to settle for a Hail Mary where, I mean, you, you got to find a way to either get down the field or get out of bounds there to, to put yourself into field goal range, especially with a kicker like Rosas. So definitely don't think it's Eli's fault. So it's amazing. You can't even, you know, utter his name on Twitter without both sides of the Eli Manning, you know, debate, just getting up in arms. But I mean, it was certainly was not the reason they lost, but you know, they had 10 points uh, basically until the end of that game is not great. <laughs> I mean, he, the thing that where we're at with Eli right now, he just doesn't lift the team. You know, he's again, he's fine. He's, he's not like the worst quarterback in the league, which he sometimes gets labeled, but it's, you know, it's fourth and one, he rolls out. And if someone's not open, he just, you know, he can't do anything. And that's just, that's just who he is at this point in his career. Um, you know, he doesn't make the, you know, it's, they're down the goal line on the fourth down. And, um, you know, he wants to say Shepard got past interference, whatever. I mean, that, that ball doesn't get completed. Again, it's not all his fault, but he just doesn't, doesn't take this team to another level. I don't think you can expect him to do it at this point. But what's going to end up happening, if, if this defense is this bad, it's really not going to matter how Eli's playing. If he's throwing for 300 yards every week, if he's completing 70% of his passes, it's really not going to matter because if this team is going nowhere, they're just going to have to let Jones play. So that's where it's kind of almost, I want to say unfair to Eli, but it's going to be tough for him because he could be playing, you know, fine. He could be playing good, but this team, you know, has to be looking at the future. So unless they can get things sorted out here, I think it's going to be sort of a, uh, an ugly process of, you know, when that transition's made, because obviously they've said all along they want it to be, you know, this smooth transition where you just win and then you figure it out after the season. But um, the way that defense looked, it's really going to make the decision. It's going to almost take Eli out of the equation when they come to make that decision uh, because if they're not a competitive team, there's really no sense sticking with a 38-year-old quarterback. One more thing on the quarterbacks. Do you think it's it can be a gradual thing where we see Daniel Jones get one position possession in this game? Does he get two against Buffalo if they're out of it? I'm assuming if it's a close game, he probably doesn't get in. But the next time there's a route, does he get two series, uh, two possessions, and then down the road, three possessions, and then it go that way before he starts eventually? Or do you think it's just going to be really a, a little bit of them each game until they finally make that decision? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, that type of thing will totally be dictated by the scores. And I mean, granted, there's like a million blowouts on Sunday, but it's usually not obviously a ton of blowouts. It's not like college football where there's a ton of, you know, mop-up opportunities. So he, the games just may not dictate him getting an opportunity for like five weeks for all we know. You know, they might just have a lot right. of, you know, one, two score games. So 
yeah, I don't think that's really how it'll play out. I mean, I think, you know, he he has shown enough, I have to believe, they have confidence. that Because, I mean, listen, he's the backup quarterback. He, like, it's hurt. They have to trust that he can win a start a game. So, uh, if the season just goes south, I mean, listen, if they put him in, in, in you know, week six in New England, he's probably not going to win that game. Probably not going to go great for him. <laughs> but you, you got to live with it. I mean, again, I just always go back to Eli's rookie season. Everyone is so worried about what situation you put Daniel Jones in. They threw Eli in with a veteran team that didn't want a quarterback change. He went in and got his teeth kicked in in a couple of games. They, you know, they played Baltimore, who had you know all these Hall of Famers on the defense, and it was probably the worst quarterbacking performance of all time. And you know, 16 years later, Eli is still standing. I mean, I, I joked to someone on Twitter today who was all worried about Jones' fragile psyche and playing with his defense. This kid went to Duke. I mean, he was playing with you know hedge fund managers going against Clemson and Miami. He'll be fine mentally. I don't think you have to worry about that. So. Um, whenever that time comes, I think he'll be ready. I, yeah, maybe it'd be great if they could ease him in, but I, I, you know, things don't usually go that smoothly. I'm sure it'll just you know come a time where um, the baton will have to be passed and he'll have to be ready, and it probably won't be a great start. But you know, you're looking down the road, and you would think that whatever experience he gets this year should only make it better in 2020, and that's where you know ultimately this franchise needs to be looking at. Yeah, and to be honest, playing against the Bill Belichick defense and all the little things he can throw at you is only going to, I think, speed up the learning curve and, and you put yeah, that I mean, stuff in the memory bank. Every Yeah, everything is just valuable for him because it's new. I mean, it, like we're saying DeAndre Baker should be better because he just realized, oh, man, these guys in the NFL, their releases off the line are a little better than what I was seeing even in the SEC. And, you know, why should why should DeAndre Baker get, you know, more experience? Why should Corey Bounton get more experience, but Daniel Jones be any different? I mean, they're all going to struggle initially. You just, you, you draft them for a reason. You think they have talent. So they're going to have to sink or swim at some point. So listen, I'm not sitting here saying they should put Daniel Jones in week two, week three. I am just saying the whole idea of they have to really carefully manage it. Cause I mean, everyone is still so scarred by David Carr. I mean, maybe David Carr just wasn't that good of a quarterback. And that's why he never recovered from that, you know, horrible rookie season behind that offensive line. I mean, plenty of guys struggle as rookies. And they turn out just fine. So I just don't think that should even be a consideration when it comes time to make that decision. All right. Well, we will see how things turn around here in the Giants' home opener, although it'll be the Bills' second game at MetLife Stadium this <laughs> season. Kind of an interesting twist with the schedule for sure. Um, thanks for joining on, us on this podcast. If you're listening to this one on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, if you want to listen to the next one, which will be getting us ready for that Bills game, you got to subscribe to The Athletic. So make sure you do that. And then you get all of the podcasts through The Athletic Network, the freebies here on iTunes and Spotify and elsewhere, and also that second episode of the week, which is on The Athletic. Also, follow Dan on Twitter at DDuggan21. Special thanks to our producer as well, Marissa Morris. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Giants, off to a tough start, but it can only go up from here, right? Thanks for joining us.